Welcome to another week of Pastor's Class as we walk through our study on respectable sins. We're using Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, to guide our time in the study. Hopefully you've picked that book and it's an encouragement to you in your walk with the Lord. The first couple of weeks we've looked at the basis for our need uh, for change because of sin in our life and the hope of the gospel and how when we were confronted with some of these respectable sins that we have gospel change uh, placed in our lives. And so we've looked at those, myself and Kyler, these first couple of weeks. And now, the, this week, we're going to begin a look at these different respectable sins. The first one being ungodliness. It is a root sin for all other sins. To Bridges' point, he'll say that all our sins may be found in pride, but you should think of pride more like the, the trunk of a tree with the branches being our sins. But ungodliness comes down to the roots of the tree that source the pride, which then sources our sins. And so ungodliness is at the root of all our sin. That's why he chooses to deal with it first. So what exactly is ungodliness? Let me, let me give you his definition from the book. Ungodliness is the living of one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or, God, or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. It's living your life void of a thought or dependence on the Lord. And so oftentimes it's easy to think of ungodliness as just wickedness or unrighteousness. But even in Romans 1, Paul will distinguish the two when God's wrath is revealed against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. He, he will distinguish the two uh, because it's not just wickedness. You've known people that in their lives are kind, they are nice people, they maybe have done nice things to you, but if you were to look into their hearts while being doing something that's not wicked, in their hearts, they're ungodly. They live their life with no thought of the Lord. And so ungodliness is a different sin than maybe even you might see. And so we're tempted sometimes to think of ungodliness as, well, that's, th those people are just ungodly. Uh, while that might be true, the temptation for a Christian then is to not be able to see that as a sin that they commit as well. Now, I would hope if you're a follower of Christ that on the spectrum from absolutely ungodly to wholeheartedly godly, that you're more towards godly. However, that doesn't mean that there aren't parts of our lives that we're still ignoring the Lord, not paying attention to Him and centering our affections and our heart and placing our focus on the Lord. So as we enter the study on ungodliness, I'd like to point out a few areas of our life in which we are called to be godly. How should we as Christians live in a godly manner? The first area we want to look at is we need to be godly in our plans. We want to have God-centered plans. We need to submit the plans that we make in life to the Lord. The book of James speaks directly to this and how we have a tendency to plan in ungodly ways. Look at James 4 verses 13 through 15 and I want you to just, we'll, we'll break this down as I read it. I want you to think about how uh, we plan in ungodly ways. Look at verse 13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow so, so notice in our plans, and our timing, we're planning things. We will go into such and such a place. 
we, we plan the location of what we're going to do. Notice the next phrase, we'll spend a year there in our plans. We'll, we'll, do the, we'll, we'll figure out how long it's going to take us to do it, not just when we're going to start, but when we're going to finish. And we'll trade and make a profit. So not only have we planned the location, start and finish, we've now planned the results. We know that when we do this and that, some sort of result will come. Now, planning's not all bad, but here's where it becomes bad. Look at verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So you're taking the timing, the place, the length of time, and the results, and the problem here is you do it completely apart from really realizing that God's the one enabling you to do these things. The key area of planning here is that we do it in a godly manner, trusting the Lord on how uh, things will play out, whether He's willing to do them or not. Now this works great as long uh, if, and I say works great. What I mean is, if you're planning in, un, in an ungodly manner, and for whatever reason the Lord is choosing to will to do that, then that works pretty well because you just still get the results you were wanting. But where it breaks down for us oftentimes is when we plan in a manner that's ungodly, and then the Lord says, nah, that's not what I will. For example, it's like a, a small child. You know, my kids all have loved to play basketball over the years. And so when they're first going to shoot and they're trying to get the ball up to the rim, typically they don't have enough strength to do it on their own. So I'll get down there with them as a kid uh, when they're kids, and I'll put my hand there behind their hand on the ball. And then we start shooting the ball together. And it might mean that we're shooting a few shots and we start making shots. But most of the reason the ball is getting in that rim because my hand is behind my child's hand. And so in their mind, it, it's easy to begin to think they're the one making all of these shots. Now, if you begin to believe that, and before I get back over to one of my children, before they can shoot it, they pick that ball up and they decide, I got this one on my own. And if I'm not there behind them helping, all of a sudden, it doesn't work out like it did before. And so that's, I think, where our frustration comes. The Lord will have blessed us four or five times and said, well, I'm planning to do this too. But then when we've not planned and all of a sudden our plans don't work, we become terribly frustrated because we never held them with open hands, trusting the Lord to do what He wills. That means we must approach every situation, every plan we have, if the Lord wills. Trusting that He's the one who will work the timing, the location, how long it's going to take us, and if, it, if it's a success at the very end, we know He's the one that's going to operate. But for us, when we start to say, I got this, Lord, I'm doing these plans, that's when we run awry. And so we need to plan if the Lord wills. One of the ways that you hear this come out in common language is when people tell you something, they'll say, well, if the Lord wills. I've even found myself at times uh, when I'm looking at a child of mine saying, Daddy's going to go to work and he'll be home this evening, if the Lord wills. And in my mind, I, I hear myself saying it there, but I think it should happen more often. It's a phrase we probably should just use often to remind ourselves that we're submitting our plans to the Lord. But this this attitude is much bigger than just a phrase. It's realizing that we are submitting every plan we have if the Lord 
wills. So if you're living a godly life, the first place you're going to submit yourself to is your plans. You're going to know that ultimately they all come under the hand of the Lord. And we don't plan anything without knowing that it's the blessing of the Lord that allows us to do those things. There's, there's another area that we must submit to uh, godliness, and that's our thoughts. That, that we want our mind to be saturated by the knowledge of the Lord. Now, now carry with me here for a minute, because... Because I want you to see the biblical concept here in Colossians chapter 1. Read verses 9 and 10 with me of Colossians 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so Paul's prayer, this is what he's been praying for the believers at Colossae, that the Lord would be at work in their life to grow their knowledge of Him. So there's a couple facets to this this, uh, whole idea of praying for growing in the knowledge of Him. First, I want to just press to the idea of us having a greater knowledge of God is godliness. We want to grow constantly in the knowledge of Him. We want to fill our minds with Him. Our mind is full of God, that we want to be thinking on God constantly. The temptation here is to think that's only for pastors or maybe your Sunday school teacher or this this Christian you know that's really mature, but not for me. But do you think when he's writing to these believers here, he, he's seeing all believers in mind here. And so every Christian should desire to have God constantly on their mind. They're going to grow in the knowledge of him. They want to learn more about God. Our desire is to be filled with the knowledge of God. And that should press even into our prayer life, which leads me to the third area of godliness that we should be pursuing is that we are godly in our prayers. We should look at our prayers as godly pursuits. So think about your prayers right now. What are they full of? When you sit down to pray, what are you praying for? Is it the temptation, I I believe for most of us, is it mostly for the, the sick, people that you know that aren't well? and which I think is a wonderful thing to be praying for, but that should not dominate our prayer life. We should be praying for people in other fronts, for their salvation. But even beyond that, we should pray for Christians and them their strengthening and growing in the faith, and that includes the same verse here. I want to, I'm going to read Colossians 1 one more time, and I want you to hear the prayer, and I want you to ask yourself, how often do you pray for people with this verse? It says, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So, so how should you pray for another Christian? Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So you're praying the person will be full of a knowledge of what God wills for their life and to have spiritual understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He's praying that their walk would be worthy of the Lord. He's praying that it would be fully pleasing to him and bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That list of prayers should be done for other believers. 
I, I would just encourage you now, even as you listen to this message or even as you might be able to do as this is on demand, you could even hit pause right now. But I would encourage you to think of someone or maybe yourself, pray this list for them right now. Somebody you want, a, a Christian, somebody you know, they might even be strong in their faith. But your prayer is that you would see these things manifest in their life. We should be praying for people's godliness. Because if they are godly, you'd be surprised, as Bridges point here, how many other sins that would fix. Because if you're focused on the Lord, what happens to your pride? You're no longer focused on yourself. Godliness changes your pride. If you're focused on the Lord, all of a sudden you want to please Him when you're tempted with a sin, you do more what the Lord wants you to than that sin. So godliness has a way about impacting all areas of our walk with the Lord. So we should be praying for people's godliness. And just in a practical manner, not only praying for their godliness, but our prayers facilitate godliness. It's the simplest way. As you hear us talking in this, as we walk through this, you say, man, I want to be godly. Okay, the, the simplest thing you can do is pray. It takes your focus off of the stuff in front of you and puts it on the Lord. So you say, I want to be more godly? Pray more. Pray often. And I would, I would say sometimes we categorize prayers as a thing. You're going to, in the morning, spend several minutes in your Bible and then several minutes uh, praying. And then most times we kind of put our prayer life to the side and don't think about praying during the day. Years ago, I heard someone use the phrase parking lot prayers. Now, I don't think this is all inclusive for everywhere, but it, it, it always has stuck with me. Uh, the idea of a parking lot prayer, what he meant uh, was that when you park the car and you walk into some place, whatever it might be, or Maybe you're just walking into a spot wherever the Lord has placed you. That's a short walk. Just a, just a matter of seconds that you're going into a place and you're preparing usually for something. If it's a doctor's visit, if it's a meeting, if it's going in to sit at your desk at work, if it's coming into your home from your day, work of the day, whatever it is, that's a few seconds you're, uh, you're transitioning uh, to another place. In that moment, say a quick prayer for what the Lord would have you do. It was reminding me, just even as I was doing this preparation, to be praying for uh, those who would hear this lesson, just to pause. So I just paused right as I was prepping for this and just prayed for this lesson and prayed for the, you that be listening to it. I, I even think of my walk to over here to record this. I had a few moments. That's time to pray for this lesson or something else going on. You should utilize those short moments during your day when you're preparing for something or maybe coming out of something to be in prayer. Turn your heart towards godly things. So our prayers, not only just praying for godliness, but just simply praying will, will facilitate godliness in our hearts. So our prayers are a big deal there, but also something we do all, most of us do a lot and all day long is that we should be godly in our work. We should be godly in our work. When we work, we work with a godly focus. And this is one that can be of great benefit, I believe, to us if we get this right. So let's, let's go back and look at Colossians, but let's look at chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and listen to what the book describes as godly work. 
He says, whatever you do, so he's including anything we might do for work. He says, work heartily, means work hard, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this can be practically helpful for you today. Maybe you have a terrible boss or a terrible work environment or something that's really frustrating about your job, whatever it might be, that your situation you're placed in, you, you always know that you're not just working for your supervisor. The Bible says you're working as unto the Lord. You're, you're serving when you work it, when you do whatever the Lord's called you to do, you're doing it to the Lord. So you should work hard so as to honor Him. So do your work with the Lord in mind. So when you submit to the authorities that are placed over you at work, remember you're submitting to the Lord. You're, you're giving Him glory in this. When, when you um, work hard and you do a great job on a project, you're doing that because it brings glory to the Lord. Now, this is a gift because if you get wrapped up into just thinking about whatever situation you're in or difficulty you might have uh, around you, you can get frustrated. You can even become cynical with it. Uh, but you need to be able to see the bigger picture, no matter what the, where the Lord has placed you, to joyfully serve Him in whatever He's called you to do. So, in your godly perspective, work for the Lord, not for men. But we're not only godly in our work and our plans and our mind and our prayers, but let's just pull the big umbrella out. We're godly in everything. Christians are called to be godly in everything. Now, the reason I use everything here is because the Bible uses it, and this is the verse that covers it all. Many of you may know it and be a favorite of yours. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. So this one pulls everything in and says, no matter what you're doing with your life, everything is done with the glory of God in mind. This is the mark of a godly person. The person that, that makes everything in their life about the glory of God. So a godly person wakes up every single day and thinks, when I open my eyes today and I drag myself out of bed earlier than I probably want to be, I'm doing that for the glory of God. When I, when I go and I open up my Bible, I'm doing that. When I read and I pray, I'm doing that for the glory of God. When I wake up and go to my job and I work hard all day to where I'm tired at night, I'm doing that for the glory of God. When I expend all my energy caring for my kids or my family or my brother or sister or my mom and dad or wherever the Lord has placed you, you're doing that for the glory of God. Every task, it can be small. Even when you eat food, even when you drink drink, the Bible even went all the way down to those levels and said you're doing that for the glory of God. So every sort of area of your life has a God-centered focus. It's all for His glory. There are two reasons that we honor God with our life. We pursue Him 
is that first is that we're going to do it to just bring glory to God. We, every bit of our life is godly so that we'll bring glory to Him. But then as we live godly focused lives, as, our, as we orient, orient our lives towards the Lord, people see how we honor the Lord and they'll be drawn to Him. And so we do it for the Lord, but also for our witness to a watching world. But at the source of why we are godly people is found in what we pursue. That leads me to the sixth point, is that we are godly in our pursuit. What we're pursuing. Jerry Bridges in his uh, most famous book, Respectable Sins isn't his bestseller, is a book called Pursuing Holiness. It's his pursuit of knowing God through holiness. And so as we pursue holiness, we pursue knowing God. Let me read it to you here in Psalm 42 as it describes this pursuit. I want you to just listen to this and see if this reflects your heart after the Lord. Psalm 42 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Do you desire for Him in this way? Is this you, one person who thirsts for knowing God? That's why Job will say in, in Job 42 that after everything had happened and God was about to restore his life and he had just seen God in this great moment, he's talking about how he repents. He'll say, he'll say to him in, verse four, in uh, Job chapter 42, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. I now see you, Lord. This is the pursuit of knowing God. The same thing Paul will say in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. His pursuit in his life is spent on knowing Christ. That is the goal of our lives, to know God himself. That is the pursuit we have in godliness. I'll end with just a couple of questions for you. The first one is diagnostic. The second one is should be of uh, encouragement of how you might remedy the problem. The first one is how ungodly are you? How much of your life are you living completely void of God? I mentioned the spectrum earlier. I think that the two ends are a person who's absolutely wholly ungodly, never gives a fault to God ever. Then on the other end where Jesus resides is a person who is always living their life with God in mind. Now we live somewhere in between those two spectrums. I, I believe, I would hope that if you're a Christian, you're more towards the side of thinking about God more often, but there are still gaps and parts of your life that are ungodly, that you are not living without orientation to Him, whether it's in your plans or your work, or your prayers, or wherever it might be in your life. So that leads to my second question. How can you pursue God more? How can you make your life about a pursuit of God Himself more? And there's been several ways we've talked about in even these few minutes together here of prayers and of work and of our plans and wherever it might be. But before you get there, I just want to remind you, these are respectable sins. So what that means is that we must repent of a sin and trust the power of Christ to enable us to pursue holiness. 
And so if that is true, if that is true in our lives, pursuing holiness, then for us, as we pursue this knowledge of God, we must turn from our sin. But, but I don't know if you realize you could do this. There's actually a way to try to be more godly in an ungodly manner. What I mean is to say, God, I'm going to try to pray more, but I'm going to do it under my own power. But what we really should do is, God, I want to pray more. Help me pray. That's a godly way of changing. So even as you pursue godliness, even as you pursue turning from the world and turning to Him, along the way, you should make sure you do it by trusting God to help you do it all the way through. I hope and I pray that we all are more godly because of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Let me pray for us and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great word here and the fact that we can put our mind and affections on you and you are such a great treasure to value for each one of us. Strengthen us in our pursuit of you and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.